Welcome to Holy and Human. I'm Adam Foley. And I'm Elisa Romeo. We're so excited. Join us today as we talk to author and speaker Ariel Ford and her twin flame partner, Brian Hilliard. Today we are honored to be interviewing Ariel Ford. Ariel Ford has been a part of the spiritual growth movement for over 30 years. She helped found the Ford Group Book Publicist Company, one of the most recognized publicists in America, which has helped launch the careers of pretty much every big name that you would recognize today in the self-help industry, including Deepak Chopra, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, and the list goes on. Gary Zukoff is on there. Her sister, who helped found the group with her, Debbie Ford, you may recognize from her book she published, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Unfortunately, Debbie Ford passed away in 2013, which we talk a little bit about on the podcast today. Ariel Ford is personally responsible for publishing many, many books uh, focused on spiritual relationship and divine union, including The Soulmate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction, Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, A Practical Guide to Live Happily Ever After, and Wabi Sabi Love, The Ancient Art of Finding Perfect Love in Imperfect Relationships. We talk a little bit about all these books today, and we specifically asked to have Ariel's partner Brian on the podcast with us today. So we dive into their relationship, their personal ups and downs, and how they work through that, and the true meaning of sacred union. So I hope you enjoy this conversation today. I know we did. Hello and welcome to Holy and Human, uh, our podcast for mystics. And we're so honored to have you guys on today. And I know you write about this and talk about this, but I would love to start our conversation uh, for our listeners. If we can, if you don't mind recounting the story of how you two met. Right. <laughs> She's good at it. She's got the short version and a long version. Well, what? Choose whichever happened? version you want. Um, <laughs> Gosh. We'd be here all day if it was. Yeah, we, yeah. We, there isn't enough time. To, the short version is: I woke up one morning at the age of forty-three, had this epiphany, which was basically, "Oh shit, I forgot to get married." Uh, decided to use every law of attraction, manifestation, prayer process, ritual, dancing naked under the moon thing I knew to manifest a soulmate, and it worked. <laughs> it worked really well. Uh, I ended up meeting. Brian at a business meeting in Portland, Oregon. I was from San Diego. And the moment we met, I knew, he knew, everybody in the room knew. And three weeks later, we got engaged. And a year later, we had three weddings. Amazing. Yeah. And we have um, a couple books here that we've been reading this week. So you talk about, well, we've got Soulmate Secret. (laughs) And then Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate. And then Wabi Sabi Love. And the one that I was really into this morning is um, Love on the Other Side. And I don't know if you know this about us, but we're mediums. And we're also, I'm I'm a marriage and family therapist as well. And um, we do couples work together and we're twin flames. So your story about... um, don't sweat sweat the small stuff in in their uh Kristen what are their names um um um, um Carson it's I have, like I have oh, Christine Carlson Chris- who was married to Richard Carlson who wrote don't sweat the small stuff yeah yeah so I was reading that this morning and we had just did a, our last podcast about twin flames so I was really like um loving those stories in your book but yeah go ahead I think you made her cry yeah I was so. crying this morning yeah that I really love that little book because it gives hope to people who've been left behind by a soulmate knowing that a they're never alone and b their soulmate in heaven will help them find a new one yes yeah I that love at, I, I was just going to say, when Christine found somebody after Richard had been gone for a few years, I spoke to him one day and I said, well, what's it like uh, 
being with Chris and he said, well, I feel like I'm in a threesome because Richard's always with us too. (laughs) I love that. And I think that's what we've learned from talking to spirits on the other side is them really explaining the difference between ego and soul. And that even if the personality might've had jealous or possessiveness or some type of other interpretation when here, there, it's just really seen for what it is, which is just love. It's not possessive or yeah individualistic in the same way. So I love how you put all that in the book. Cause I think people are really scared, you know, about all of it. Like, well, I have a lot of um, women in my courses that are widows that feel so much guilt about wanting to find love again. And I have to like really explain to them, listen, there's somebody cheering for you on the other side. They don't want you to be alone. They're not going to be jealous. They're going to help you if you ask, if they have good taste. You know, yeah, like yeah. The other that's essential. Somebody's out of body doesn't actually make them an expert in character. So if yeah. you trusted them on this side, then you could ask them for help. But if they, you know, made some bad choices, maybe ask somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good point, too. Yeah. When you uh, talked about meeting Brian at that meeting and how you knew and how he knew and the whole room knew, can you describe what that felt like for you guys? Well, it, it, I thought I was going crazy <laughs> because I was hearing voices. There was a voice that spoke to me in my ear and said, he's the one. This is how it happened. This is who you're going to spend your life with. And then he said the craziest thing to me and tell him what he said to me. Well, I, <clears throat> I, I looked at her and I said, do you recognize me? And part of my story is, well, she went to heal her heart from a woman, a saint from India, who's a hugging saint called Amma. No way. We, we have, well uh, we ha- that's the beginning of our relationship as well. So that's hilarious. Well, she married us. Oh uh, my in our, gosh. Uh, wow. In our spiritual service. And then we had Kenny Loggins, the singer, uh, marry us in, in our legal wedding because wow. with Amma it wasn't legal. But she went, she went for a hug. A, a, she went for a three-day conference and it was magic all around that. But anyway, the minute she got a hug from Mama, we realized actually at that moment I began dreaming about a sacred union and a, mm. a, 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 a divine feminine energy was kind of coming into my life and it was coming in through dreams. Mm. So at first it was just kind of blurry. And then the day before I went to pick her up at the airport, she was coming in for, a, like she said, a business meeting with us. And I, fully realized who it was. It was Ariel in my dream. We were in Yabyam. We were we were in a sacred union and our eyes were connected and our hearts were connected and it was just radiance. Mm. And I, and then I went to pick her up and I was just I was just blown away mm. that that was the woman in my life coming into my life. And I so I said, Do you recognize me thinking that she might have, you know, seen me in her dream or whatever? And then she went nuts because <laughs> She was fasting at the time too, so she I was doing she was a going, liver cleanse. She was going crazy, wow. but uh, we instantly, you know, the, the sparks just flew instantly. So we knew immediately that we were meant to be together. There were certainly signs that we were paying attention to that that confirmed that. And my dream was just a part of that, but it was so huge for me because there she was, at, you know, at the airport the woman of my dreams. Mm-hmm. I love uh, that. Did you have so any, did you have any part, Brian, and you that was like, I, I think I had a lot of this because of my background was my dad was a biochemist. My mom's a mathematician. And I had a lot of Jungian training about projection and stuff. So when our meeting came, I had a lot of ego kind of narrative about, I don't know, codependency projection, even though my soul and my energy knew it wasn't. So there's a little battle of my ego having to kind of like chill out and to relax trust the experience to, to really just, yeah. yeah. Did you have any, did either of you have any of that kind of? I, well, we got engaged three weeks after we met and I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and a few months later, he asked me, when are you going to tell your mother we're engaged. And I said, well, if I tell her, it will be real and it will unleash things that can't be stopped. Mm. And I, I'm a very grounded Capricorn. Me too. And so it's <laughs> great. Oh, great. So even though I had all these feelings and all this intuition and all these signs, I didn't know, I didn't know him. 
And I wasn't about to commit everything in my life to someone I didn't know. Plus, I had done a lot of studying with Dr. Pat Allen, um, who wrote a book called Getting to I Do, who also was a Jungian analyst before she was that. And so she always talked about how it takes one year to really get to know somebody. So I was like, yes, I'll marry you in a year, but I need to like really like know, like, are you worthy of my trust? I mean, he seemed like he was worthy of my trust. But um, so, so yeah, for me, mm. it was this push pull between, yes, every cell in my body screaming, we've been together a million lifetimes. And the other practical part of myself is saying, hey, mm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot that could be lost here. You know? and, and he had a bit of a reputation that I found out pretty quickly as quite the playboy of Portland, you know, so, Playboy of Portland. <laughs> the Playboy of yeah, Portland. Yeah, Playboy of Portland. Yeah. So, you know, as you can see, twenty-four years later, it we make good choices. I yeah. love that. I never had heard before the the ama piece in your story, and uh, and I'm so surprised yeah. and not surprised at the same time of the similarities between our stories in that we I we uh, went to ama together when we were just meeting and actually a it was friend, the first thing we did together a friend not invited me other. uh to go and i didn't know that elisa was going and so it you know just by circumstance by synchronicity we ended up in the same car together going out there and uh i remember being so excited to go to this hugging saint and going and waiting in the line and going up to her and then i remember getting the hug and be and having <laughs> such high expectations then being like what no, nothing happened like and i felt like i like there i hadn't recognized oh, love it. Uh, uh, great oh i can God, feel her boy. energy from that so, photo yeah. yeah so in that instance we, we, i was still processing what was you know happening but then elisa went up and she got a hug and then we went and sat back down and elisa just instinctually just lean her head on my shoulder <laughs> as if we had been married for and years i was and married years. to someone else yeah. So yeah. Uh-huh. there was some complications wow. in those strong feelings sure. occurring. Yeah. And she was shocked. I could see from her face. She leaned and then she sat up and she's like, well, oh, what just happened? And she would uh, try to compartmentalize it. Uh, but then it led to, yeah, all these spiritual but, awakenings. Uh, you know, I've heard Alma say before, you know, if you've seen her a couple of times, what that means karmically in terms of the path with her, just like having. And so it felt like really meant to be just like how she was holding space. I remember feeling a mile out coming to the hotel in Seattle, feeling the energy of like just radiating and shifting to go into that vortex. And so just yeah. it makes sense that could be the portal in, you know. And my relationship with Ama has changed since I, yeah. I yeah, since my right. hug experience. Yeah. Yeah, she she was a big part of our love equation. There's no doubt. We we ended up working with Ariel did the first documentary uh, with her, oh, and wow. uh, then she married us. Then she married us a year to the date that Ariel got her hug. It was oh my same gosh! Room. Same room. It was really special. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. That's very and we, cool. We, we, we brought, we've uh, had some really whimsical, beautiful, in, you know, encounters with her. We, we one time were in somewhere in Asia. Thing, we so, ran into her in the Singapore airport. At only like us. Six o'clock in the morning. It was just her and her swami mm. walking through an empty airport. And from a distance, so, we were like this. And mm. she was like this. And we got a hug <laughs> in the middle of this airport in Singapore. So, so we've had yeah. some one. I mean, we would say that they're they were destined to happen, but but they were very magical. Yeah, really, yeah. really, really. Uh, on that note, I would love to ask. I'm just curious. After reading about your process of manifesting a soulmate, uh, this is just kind of personally for me. I would love to know where you guys think destiny versus manifestation meets. Because there are those. There's that part of like, okay, the vision board and the law of attraction, but also there's the destiny of the soul reunion. So does it even af- matter? what we're doing to manifest or not manifest when there's a destiny element. Well, I have a lot of opinions to that. I think about that a lot. And what the conclusion I've come to is that we always have free will. So I think that, that before we come into physical form, we choose our lives, the basic, the basic highlights, you know, our parents, our siblings, that sort of stuff. And then we also can pick mates mate or mate 
right? And then there's different clues that you're going to get. But you always have the free will to say yes or no. Um, and mm. day after we met, I ran into my Vedic astrologer. And before I jumped on the plane home, I got Brian's date of birth, which I thought was very cool because I asked him for his date, time, and place of birth. And he gave it to me without giving me a weird book, which I thought was very cool. Perfect. <laughs> good sign. Yeah. <laughs> good sign, right? I ran into Mark, my astrologer. And two hours later, he called and left me a message that he looked up our charts together. And it was the clearest indication of a faded relationship he'd ever seen. Mm. And to call him back when we needed wedding dates. So <laughs> I definitely there was destiny there. You wow. know? And the Do you know what planets are what he was seeing for the, for the destiny element? I wonder. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm a big believer in astrology and I've never been able to make heads or tails. It's of a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. way too much for my pea brain mm -hmm. on that. But, <laughs> but I do think it all comes down to choice and, and free will. You know, it's not written in stone. It's not like it has to be it's like my, I have a, one of my best friends is a holy woman. And I introduced her to Vedic astrology. She didn't mm. know anything about it. So I got her a reading and when it was all over, I said, well, what do you make of it? And she said, she said, well, imagine um, what's the planet that, that nobody wants to have happen to him. I said, Mars. Okay, imagine you have the serious Mars day and the astrologer is telling you, don't leave the house today. A really bad thing could happen to you. And they could be right. You could have a tragic car accident or you could stub your toe. And that's mm -hmm. right. The degree. Yeah, have, yeah. You have, so I use astrology just for affirmation when I'm feeling torn a certain way or I'm feeling like I should do something, but I'm not sure. That's mm -hmm. when I check with my astrologer. Yeah. Or I can always cool. check with Brian. He's almost yeah. never wrong. <laughs> I love that. So it sounds very, like. times. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like there's this element of destiny, like perhaps you guys were always destined to meet, but then you had the choice of if you're going to surrender or commit to the relationship or not. Uh, and, you know, we we're talking about those resistances that come up. That makes Wait, sense. Are we listening to those resistances or listening to that deeper intuitive voice? That makes sense for us because when we first met in terms of when it all came back, like who he was, a voice said, Cause I was like, Oh no, like this is a horrible thing. Cause I'm married and everything. And the information was like, this is your spiritual husband. We're showing you him. You can choose to go towards it or not, but it's like, this is, this is it. This is, if, you know. And what was the state of your, the marriage you were in? We had already been to marriage counseling. And I think I had, because I had been on a long path of doing my own inner work, my inner masculine feminine and stuff. I had just come to kind of a, place of acceptance because I am Italian and very loyal and this idea. And we had a kid already. So it was just kind of like, I can be happy in my life, regardless if I'm met on some deep, intimate level in this relationship, we can still be, I think, what you know, was so also... I think it was coming to what's the word, like when you settle, you kind of settle, you're like, okay, well, this is as good as it gets. Right. Okay. This is, this can work. And I think what was confusing is because he was such a good, he was a good person, guy and he, and, there was nothing wrong. Know. Right. Like we didn't have blowout fights or any, there was no addiction or there was no issue to point at except for we weren't meeting on a soul level. He's very physically world oriented. So it's, he's not into everything that is the deepest truth to me is not how he orients his world. So but we were best friends. We would surf together and have fun. We had a lot in common. My dad had died. So I had kind of gone into this place of I'm a certain age. I want kids. Like I, this is love, right? We're all gonna die. I guess you just, you know, yeah. like that kind of a place. But then my soul actually told me two years, I do this practice called soul journaling, where you talk to your higher self in the journal. And so two years before we met, she said, someone's coming for you and someone's coming for your husband. And I just compartmentalized like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so yeah and then he's well, in a new relationship with a new child as well yeah and, and happier and a better like, fit than we ever could have been because yeah. we just weren't the match yeah well i think you explained that beautifully for for me it, i think as an individual we all have a, a coded imprint in terms of our destiny we have to rely on our soul answers instead of our ego answers and so we were we did all the prep work to you know both of us as individuals leading up to our 
encounter. And that's why it was so magical because we did our homework. I mean, we did the work. You were ready. You were ready. I I feel like there's something like that. Like I really feel with Adam, like if I met him a year earlier, I wouldn't have been ready for what was coming. that, That actually played out for us in terms of the universe supporting us when you're ready to say yes, if you've done the work, you know, that's how earnest, you know, a sacred relationship can be. And we, at the deep, like Yogananda says, we just got to have to get out of the way and look, remember how much we know. We know what love is. We mm-hmm. feel it. Our, our soul just is nourished by it. So when we met, we just, you know, we just imploded together mm-hmm. and we just merged together. And that's what the universe was providing us too. But that's, that was our soul imprint, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's, we, we were pre- preparing ourselves to say yes when that moment, instead of, you know, disengaging or, mm. you know, imploding that situation, we were willing to say yes mm. to that love, that love big that. love. Mm-hmm. And, and the universe mm-hmm. was supporting us in every, you know, if we were aware enough and paying attention, the universe was giving us signs that, yes, this was what we were supposed to do. That's what we were destined to be together. And yeah. it's, it's, never, it's been, it gets bigger and bigger as the years go on. And that's, that's something in, Instead of saying no, we said yes, and that was the magic of it. Yeah. I would love to ask a question to you, Ariel, about uh, you, your book about turning your mate into your soulmate. And uh, like in the situation of like Elisa, where she was in this relationship where she, there's everything seems looks good externally, but something feels off internally. How do you know when it's time to, and we've seen all situations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we've seen, we've seen all situations on sessions where we see people who think they need to leave, but then they get the intuitive information that there's something more there or. Yeah. Sometimes it's an attachment wound they're Mm -hmm. avoiding. Right. And when you face that thing, then there's love available within that same union. And then sometimes the soul information is time to move on. Yeah. Well, there's there's no like, you know, are we or not test for this <laughs> sort of thing. But you know, what I've witnessed is that most people don't even know what love is. And that's where they get screwed up. So they they like the being in love part, which really shouldn't be called being in love because there's no love involved at all. It's strictly a chemical high. It's your brain on drugs, on dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and adrenaline and it's nature's trick to get people to procreate has nothing to do with love at all right i call it you know the socially acceptable form of insanity is what the being and so real mature adult love is first and foremost a behavior and it's a choice and it's action, it's a way of being. And there are good feelings that come and go, but they're not there every day. As anybody who's ever been married knows, there are days when you don't like your mate very much, but it doesn't mean you don't love them. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing about what is love and the expectation of who this person needs to be to you is people just don't have that information. You know, like they're they're just not generous in terms of letting people be human. I mean, yeah. we are like really very imperfect beings and very impatient and very intolerant. And then we have all these childhood wounds that we've never dealt with. And, you know, and then we get plugged into each other and they just don't know how to relate. So they're thinking, okay, well, the grass is greener. Let me go find somebody else. And then they fall in love again for six months to three years. Oh, this is what love is. But statistically, um, everybody knows that 50% of first marriages end in divorce. Everybody knows. It. But what nobody knows is that 62% of second marriages and 71% of third marriages end in divorce. I didn't know reason, that. Yeah, wow. it's really high. And it's not, it, it's because you haven't changed. You, wow. the picker of the other person, has not grown and changed. You know, Harville Hendricks says the purpose of true soulmate marriage, sac- taking sacred vows, The purpose of that is to be in a container of love where you can heal each other's childhood wounds, where you have the safety to heal each other's wounds. And that's what marriage is about. So as we all know, doing that inner work is painful. It's not always fun. 
right? But as soon as it gets uncomfortable, people start leaving the room. Like I know in attachment theory, I, I was once an anxious type, but Brian's yeah. a very secure type. And because of the way he loves me, I have become a secure type. Healed that. You know? yeah. So yeah. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. But with everything you said, yeah. it seems like the first question is not whether I should leave or stay this relationship, but more, what is your definition of love? How do you define love? And does that entail also the work? I'd like to hear you guys answer that too. Like what, yeah. what well, is love? One like, other, good question. There's one other thing I want to say before I forget, because I have such a bad memory. So growing up, we were taught the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? It doesn't work in love. I believe in the platinum rule. Platinum rule <laughs> is do unto other as they want to be done unto. Because that's different, right? Yeah. Totally different, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like if you, if you know that bright lights and loud noises make me crazy, you know, then turn yeah. off the lights, turn down the volume, right? So the goal, learning the platinum rule, I think is a big, I, lo I love have. that. I think that's so wise. Carl Jung says the number one psychological mistake we all make is projecting our own reality onto others. Right. And then wondering why it's not working. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's why the love languages is so good. You know, you want to buy me gifts. That's great. But gifts is number five on my love language thing. I don't, mm -hmm. uh, if you want me to feel love and whisper in my ear, you know, right. don't do an active service. Well, yeah. and that's, I think you answered your own question, too, with what you just said so beautifully is um, <clears throat> discernment is everything in terms of a relationship and your own life in terms of your choices. But where are you discerning from? Are you projecting or are you discerning from your deepest heart? Are you connecting your heart with your mind so you can gain more emotional management to make these, you know, and then they have to practice like you go to a gym. Uh, you know, your emotional management only increases and expands when you continue to practice it. When you continue yeah. to practice discernment, it becomes more clear and precise, mm -hmm. and your decisions are more precise and clear mm -hmm. and full of love versus the other ego energies. So yeah. I, I think you answered your own question. Youngian just answered it for us. <laughs> Unfortunately, it gets cloudy when we barf out all of our projections, and that's what we have to heal, and that's what we have to be aware of. For someone listening who's saying, like, how do you start doing that? What What is that process of going in and assessing where something's coming from inside of you if it's coming from love or fear like brian how do you do that how do you identify that for yourself or that interior well, me, process I, I take the quantum physics approach that everything has a feedback loop so whatever your decisions are you're going to be kicked in the butt or be reaffirmed and uplifted it's healthy it's holy whatever the words you want to use but it's, it's healing it's you, you you can taste and feel love when it's real when it's true and then you then you just have to learn over time to be vulnerable to that and be be surrendered to that and not be scared of that because sometimes it can get pretty hairy being out of, you know on, at the end of your surfboard trying to catch a wave because everything's different and you can fall off sometimes but you have to learn how to get back on the surfboard and take another wave and, and when you say do. When you say love there, how you just said it and what you felt when you said that, what does that feel yeah. like to you? What is love as an energy or how do you identify it? Because like Ariel said, like people don't know what love is. Yeah. So I've learned over time, just like, again, going to the gym and, and doing calisthenics and, and improving and improving. You learn where you're where you're uh, making your decisions from. And for me, Emotional IQ is really important. So therefore, I've learned to align my mind with my heart so I can be more clear and, and uh, trust my intuition, trust my deeper feelings. And that's what I feel when there's love. You know it. It, it's, it, it makes you tingle. You, you can taste it. You can see it. You, you feel it. It, it. It's, again, healthy and holy. It, it, it uplifts people. It, it, it tends to inspire you and inspire others. So that feedback loop is always there. And that's, I think love is, is, is just that constant feedback loop that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I think we totally agree with that mm -hmm. philosophy. And, and one way we kind of see love is like, love is a force unto itself that just yes. exists and you're either in alignment with it or not. Obviously yeah. very hard to define, but easy to know. Yeah. 
on, uh, well, maybe not easy to know all the time. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know, was there a point with the, both of you where you knew that you, that the other was down to go through the trenches of relationship where you, in the beginning, you know, they were still wondering if you could trust or commit to this. Was there a moment when you realized, okay, this person is down and we're going to heal through this relationship? I don't, I don't remember a specific moment. I just remember Brian telling me early on, he would say to me, you have no idea how much you've healed me. Mm. And I didn't know what he meant by that. I mean, I didn't know about Harville Hendricks back when we were doing all this stuff. I didn't ever think of relationship as a space to heal. So, but I learned early on because I could, I could see myself healing. I mean, crazy things happened after we got together that I, I like my business really sort of doubled in size, but I wasn't working harder. Mm. And I realized it because I was, happier and I felt more secure and I had this safe place to land that sort of freed up energy to manifest more good stuff so my life just kept getting better and the only thing I could say it wasn't my cat it was (laughs) (laughs) how does the cat cat feel about that (laughs) cats are very jealous Well, he was a 25-pound Maine Coon. Oh, wow. And if JB didn't like him, he was not coming back in. (laughs) Fortunately, the first time he walked in my house, he got on the floor and bonded with the cat. And the cat liked him. (laughs) So that was the moment. Yeah, that was the moment. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I think that was meant to be. Again, I I think my intuition was guiding me. You know, my soul was guiding me to those kinds of yeah what do you both believe the purpose of soulmates are our sacred union the purpose of it i think it's all about healing i i think human beings were meant to be in pairs i'm i'm very anti-polyamory <laughs> i don't think it works i think it's a really bad idea and you know there's a lot of people say well i don't want a partner i want to be alone great not everybody has to have one but I also believe if you have the desire to be with somebody, there's somebody also looking for you and that life, life is just better. You know, it's like, like women today, do they need a man? No, absolutely not. We do not need a man. But as my friend, John Gray likes to say, we're the icing on the cupcake. <laughs> you know, you can have your whole life, but if you want the icing, then get a partner. Well, yeah, healing's the foundation, but I think Adam, you said it earlier that love is a force. And so, I think for us that force expanded, and so again we 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 gained so much more as as I said one plus one equals eleven, coming together. So our life changed dramatically, our business changed dramatically, our relationships with others changed dramatically, and that's because we were together. And that's what I I, I think that's the the sacred aspect of two people getting coming together, and knowing that that this is the truth, this is what's meant mm-hmm. to be, this is what's supposed to yeah. be. And we're a stronger force going out into the world together. I think that's really interesting too. what you made that distinction between monogamy and uh, polyamory. Polyamory. Yeah. Uh, Can you say a little bit about that of why? Why do you think it's bad? Because there's people right there. And it's it's, it's kind of in a trend right at this moment. Well, I know it's very very trendy, but I've actually witnessed it up close and personal with highly conscious people. And I've never seen it work. At the end of the day, especially when it's a threesome, somebody gets pushed out. There's an emotional bond and jealousy comes out and as much transparency and communication that goes on, somebody always gets hurt. And, you know, you could say that about any love relationship. You know, people say, oh, I'm afraid to fall in love again. I'm going to get hurt. It's like, yeah, you are. Yeah. But you're going to get through it. But with mm-hmm. polyamory, mm-hmm. I've never come across a situation where long term it really worked out. Now it may it may occasionally. I'm just saying for for most people, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, and when we do sessions and we're intuitively looking at people, we see all situations. You know, we can see 
where that can work for people or the reverse where independence is really well, healthy. Sometimes it might be a certain soul lesson they're working on of like feeling wanted or whatever. Right. So maybe they get the soul lesson from it, but maybe it doesn't work out, but there's like a place for what that chapter of their life was showing, revealing them in terms of consciousness. But yeah, I think, but it's can be really I think much, yeah. much more difficult to work issues like avoidant attachment and things like that when you're in that type of relationship. It can be a smokescreen to like letting certain things, yeah, stay unconscious. And also we're all about caretaking the ego too. And what does the ego really need to know, to feel like it can trust their partner, to feel like they are their person in which they can expose all of their inner child stuff. If you are in a situation where you feel like if you expose your inner child, that this person may lean more on somebody else. That can be, that can be really detrimental to <laughs> yeah. the process. Uh, I just think it's yeah. interesting you said that because we have, we're very clear well, intuitively that that was the answer. And for a lot us. of women we hear say, you know, their frustrations with it not working in a heterosexual partnership of finding a man. So sometimes they're trying to convince themselves they're open to it because it is just kind of like, well, nothing else has worked and I haven't seen anything else available. And it sounds like in that <laughs> situation, you would say, really get clear on what you really want and manifest that. Right. Yeah. There's a fine line between your healthy ego and your trickster. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> the masquerading gremlins. Yeah. Yes. That's a real, that's, that's a tightrope. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, your book that Elisa held up, uh, today, um, love, love on, on the, the other, other side. side, you talk about you, the passing of your sister and, um, and your process with that. And, uh, and one of the questions she asked you before she crossed over was, will I find my soulmate? on the other side. I would love to hear you guys speak about that. That's a question I know sometimes uh, both, you know, Elisa and I, we both do mediumship sessions, but still sometimes Elisa's like, am I gonna find you on the other side? Yeah, you know, sometimes I worry my at, ego, right? Goes into kind of an ego orientation of like, wait, like, <laughs> are you sure we're gonna meet up somehow uh, over there? Yeah. Well, after Even though I passed, see um, I had a session with a really good psychic medium who didn't know her. I particularly wanted somebody who didn't know her. Uh, and, and I said, well, I want to know, did she find her soulmate on the other side? And what she said was, is that as soon as she crossed over, he was waiting for her and her heart burst into this like fireworks of joy and happiness and excitement. And he explained to her that they had purposely chosen, they were twin souls, they had purposely chosen not to be together on planet Earth during this lifetime for her so that he could be her guardian angel as she went through this very big life that she led. Wow. And that they were planning to reincarnate together at a later time. So she answered the question for me because as she was dying, she kept saying, well, do you think I'll find my soulmate there? Mm. And I didn't mm. know the answer. I just kept saying, yes, of course. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how could you know? Um, so, and that's where I came to understand, you know, I, I actually, when I'm teaching, try never to talk about twin souls because then everybody wants a twin soul. That's what, what our, that's what our last podcast was about in our Instagram post today was right. I said that exact thing because everybody right, gets right. up in an ego place. Right. They want a twin soul. And now having learned from my sister that they don't always come back at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I think most twin souls will tell you twin souls are harder than regular. Soulmates. Absolutely. It's like, it's, you know, it's not, you know, soulmate 101 and then there's twin soul, twin soul 501. So it's a, it's a harder path, yeah. even though it sounds easier. Um, so I just tell people, listen, there's, so many potential soulmates out there. What you're looking for is a soulmate life partner who has the capacity to be your partner, the one that, that you can have the most fun and the best growth with. And mm -hmm. there's no shortage of those. Just like, you know, at least in the Western world, we have no shortage of clean air and fresh water to drink. There's no shortage of love. All there is is a shortage of patience for those of you who are unwilling to date, you know, and dating is part of the process as much as you don't want to date. Um, so yeah, the twin soul thing, I try to avoid it as much as humanly possible because, you know, we have friends that are like Vic and Loisu are twin souls and Claire and Craig are twin souls. 
you know, and it doesn't make it easier. It no, just is yeah. I, I often say I, I don't. I, we've said before, I don't know if I'd wish that on my children. Like we have two boys. It's like, <laughs> I, I think I'd wish a nice like soulmate relationship on them. But we just came to the point of actually using the term after a long time of debating it, because we also see the people that really are manically searching at 3 a.m. Twin soul, what do I do? Because there really is some real particularities to the energetic incarnation with it. We had these things called love bombs. We'd fall on the ground having seizures for 45 minutes and then being like, what is happening to us and being scared. So it's like, we want to address those people, but also it is hard to not activate all the egos that want to spiritually bypass or avoid where love is showing up for them in this lifetime in this way. Also, I think we've had lifetimes also getting that information where we haven't been incarnated at the same time. And it has been meant to be for very particular soul lessons and are mature enough to meet each other but we you know our full circle conclusion has been that we also believe there's twin souls twin flames out there and soulmates to help show others what love can be like you said uh ariel like in a world where people don't know what love really is they need to be able to have some reference point. You talk about twin flames and soulmates. How would you define your relationship? <laughs> Even though you just said you might not want to. Yeah. Oh, we're going to so force I'm, it. I'm pretty clear we're twin souls, twin flames. And the, the word that Brian uses, which I think sums it up so well, is that it's about devotion. You know, yeah. and there's, there's all this. Yeah. And so there's this, like I was trying to explain, Brian's had some health challenges over the last 10 years. And then I have my aging mother who has a lot of health challenges and dealing with my mother's health challenges is very difficult and frustrating and makes me resentful. And they said, well, what about Brian's? It's like, no, I don't mind at all. I signed up for this, whatever is in his highest and best good, I'm happy to do. It never is a burden. Although he's very low maintenance in a lot of ways, um, but that, I think that's the key word: is who are you? Who are you committed to being devoted to? And it's not even a commitment; it is just an is. That that's how it is, and there's no cho- you don't have to choose it. It's just what well, it's, it's the there highest, is to do. It's yeah. the highest form of love, I think. Is yeah. devotion. Yeah, I love that phrasing of it. Just that it just is. Because we've definitely felt that in our relationship too, where it's it was more about how much do we just accept what is, which was very scary because accepting what is meant really completely surrendering to our relationship, really trusting Elisa as my path to the to the divine, even with all of her personality quirks and human <laughs> That's side. That's why it's called holy and human, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we're both, right? And- yeah. And I think it's so, it's very tricky, hard and a unique and profound path to really try to find the divine through another human being, because we all have our, you know, issues. And Sam Keen has this great line where he says, we come to love not to find a perfect person, but to learn to love an imperfect person perfectly. I love it. Yeah, that's for sure. Amen. Which also (laughs) is very similar to what you teach about wabi-sabi love. Am I saying that correctly? Wabi-sabi love, yeah. yeah. So this is a Japanese ancient technique of admiring and falling in love with the imperfections. Highlighting the imperfection. I like how you said put a spotlight on it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Well, that's what they do in Japan. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. they're cracked right down the middle, and that's the sacred aspect of it. Well, one question I had on that, which I was curious when reading your book, was you talk about the things that we can become infuriated with, you know, like the things that (laughs) crumbs on the resentments and and the teacup and water water on the floor. Yeah, right. So turning those in, turning our perception of those moments to recognizing first that this is part of can be part of the unique nature of this person like those little moments Mm -hmm. of uh and we talk about that in our book coming out in february too uh about 
like recognizing the beauty in her snoring. <laughs> I wonder, know, we our, talked about taking that part out snoring, or not. Cause I'm like, snoring. is anybody going to get this snoring is so annoying. <laughs> but then I, he's like, no, that's what it is. Really. Yeah. But I was also wondering if you feel that sometimes there's a complimentary um, thing that happens between the things that rub us the wrong way in our relationship. Like if there's something within Brian that really irritates you but it's actually perfectly designed to expose something that's unhealed maybe like yourself. a sandpaper situation to kind of wear something down there's there's a lot of stories i could tell you that illustrate this but i guess the best one or the easiest one is when we first got together um he used to do so like imagine this is a tube of toothpaste i'd go in the bathroom and it would be like this and I, and I would say to him, hey, Bri, let me show you how to get the toothpaste out. You squeeze from the bottom and then you just roll up. That's the proper way to get the toothpaste out. He'd give me a weird look and walk out and not deal with it. And I tried to show him many times and he'd give me a weird look and he'd leave. And then finally one day I thought to myself, okay, what's the wabi-sabi solution to the toothpaste? Because every time I see the mangled tube the toothpaste, I feel annoyed. I have bad feelings and thoughts about him for mangling my toothpaste. And then, of course, I go and straighten it out. So then I thought, well, I'll buy two tubes. But I thought, I'll still see his tube. It will still bother me. <laughs> so I know this sounds like a minor thing, but it's worked. So, so I, I put the tube of toothpaste in my hand like this, and I started talking to it. And I said, okay, what's good about you? What's good about you being mangled? And the toothpaste said to me, thank God he brushes his teeth. <laughs> And in that moment, I realized I was grateful that he brushes his teeth, that he's going to grow old and he'll still have teeth. So I was able to shift my perception of something that annoyed me into something that now made me smile. And he still does it. Like 24 years later, he still squeezes from the middle, but I have no reaction to it anymore. Yeah. So that's a, a well, minor wobby well, that's, wobby that's the, that's the healing aspect of what we're talking about, I think. I mean. Because you mentioned it earlier with Carlson's book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I mean, this stuff is annoying, but it's really small. So we've got to get to a point within ourselves to accept that, allow that to unfold and just have a much different response than just a reaction. Yeah. And, and, and the, re the response is the key. And that's where love comes from. Yeah. And one healing layer of that, too, can be if you see something like that, that you might have like a micromanaging response to or it boils up like resentment or bad feelings that may ruin your day that that is the part that brian is healing through his mangled toothpaste uh well, and, and and a more clear example a greater example of this and you should share it real quickly is jerry jampolsky's story because oh, okay. this is the self-realization i'm talking about for that other partner to finally realize there's a much bigger story going on here in terms of our healing. And this, this will show it. Okay, so we have these friends, Jerry and Diane. He's a psychiatrist. She's a psychologist. He's almost 30 years older than her when it's the second marriage for both. When they marry, Diane doesn't know that Jerry has an addiction. Jerry's addicted to poppy seed bagel. And every morning he gets up an hour before she does. And he goes in the kitchen and he slices a poppy seed bagel, which sends dozens of little black seeds all oh, over everywhere. White, a white tile floor. <laughs> oh, he then toasts the bagel. Then he puts a smear of cream cheese on the bagel. And then he walks around the kitchen, dropping even more little black seeds. <laughs> oh, now, an hour later, Diane's up. She's in the kitchen. And every morning's the same. Because of Jerry's, Jerry's older than her. She wets the paper towel, she gets on her hands and knees, and she wipes up all the little black seeds, because as you know, you cannot use a broom to get the seeds where they mm -hmm. fly. So this has been going on for years. And one morning, she's on her hands and knees, wiping up the seeds, and she has this thought. And her thought is, I wonder what has to happen so I never do this again, which is followed by the thought, oh, that would mean Jerry's no longer with me. And from that day on, every morning as she wipes up the seeds, her heart fills with love because the seeds mean she has another day to 
spend with Jerry. Mm, yeah. That was the, that that's was the gift. That's the gift. Now, I want yeah. to tell There's you. There's a pony in there. <laughs> <laughs> that Jerry just died recently mm. at 98. Oh, wow. And he was eating poppy seed bagels <laughs> till the end of his life. <laughs> yeah. Oh my wow. gosh. And like the devotion word comes in, right? Because you can you clean go. up, you can clean it up from I'm irritated, I'm resentful, or you can yeah. clean it up with this is yeah, this is connecting me in. One yeah, thing you we gotta pick your battles, right? Yeah, pick and your battles. Bobby Sobby love doesn't work if there's bad behavior abuse or addiction you cannot wabi sabi your yeah, way that's out of important it. yeah you know, that's but if important. it's just the ordinary wet towels on the floor you know the way somebody like i like to chew on straws it don't, makes them don't crazy. sweat the small stuff yeah like little yeah. stuff you know you I can still try it. to change it i still try to change it and i still wish you wouldn't leave water on the floor yeah. i walk around barefoot <laughs> he always has shoes yeah. on and he's the hand towels, for some reason, he forgets we have hand towels. So there's water <laughs> on the floor, and I'm like, nothing is like, I haven't figured out the wabi sabi solution to that yet, unless I start wearing Wear shoes. shoes. <laughs> yeah, it's a growing practice. We, yeah. in uh, our retreats, we do this exercise sometimes with couples where we'll first ask them what they appreciate and love about their partner. And, uh, and usually the answers are kind of generic and big. They're kind of like, oh, she's funny, or I like how he supports me and, and such. But then we'll ask, now if your partner passed away, what would you miss about them? And the things become much more specific. Uh, and it, it is those wabi-sabi things. It's like the poppy seeds on the floor, or the way they read, or the way they snore, or there's just... Uh, it's, those, it's who they are kind of. And, and it, yeah. I think that exercise also helps you attune to their essence over their personality. There's part of those personality quirks, of course, yeah. idiosyncrasies <laughs> coming through. But we also ask, like, if your partner was in a coma and they couldn't say or do anything, how would you still love them? And, or, or even find them energetically. Yeah. Like. So I think that Wabi Sabi definitely helps connect to i could be so irritated and focus on this micro behavior of my partner or i could see this as yet another expression of their all-encompassing soul and it's my devotional task to worship i'm worshiping their soul by cleaning up the poppy seeds or whatever it is well we're we are very practical people but we cherish and really are devoted to the invisible like you're mm -hmm. talking about and yeah. those are the things that are of value to us. Those are the things you can't really describe. They're intangible, but they're the, the essence of our love. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Oh, so beautiful. Well, I think we're going to wrap up. Is there anything else that you want to say to people today or anything you feel like hasn't been spoken? No, we love you guys. Nice yeah, to meet we you. We love and, you guys too. It feels very synchronistic when I, I mean, have your story I mean, and all that. And yeah, I just, I just wish and hope for everybody to be more gentle with themselves, love themselves and each other. There's a lot of chaos in the world right now, a lot of tumult, and we need the light workers out there to dissolve and dissipate some of that lower density stuff that's out there. So we need folks like you and your audience and people at any time to go into their heart. You know, love and peace is really the essence of life. It's, 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 it's unshakable. Yeah. And it's very necessary right now. So I just, I just wish that upon everyone else. Beautifully said. Time. Yeah. I wonder if there could be violence in the world if everybody was soulmates, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing the devotional work. Yeah. and Ariel, where, oh, sorry. Where can people find you? Oh, my website is soulmatesecret.com. Well, we are so honored to have you guys Thank on. Thank you so much Such for taking pleasure. the time and speaking with us today. It was a joy to sit with you both Thank and you. really appreciate it. Yeah. It's a real Thanks pleasure. So Thank you. It was fun okay. to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy your day, guys. Yeah. Take, Take care. care.